I'm assuming that by now you've read the message that I sent Friday afternoon and again last night as an attachment to another email that you know that why we canceled our uh, public gathering this morning. We've hit the pause button to take some time to evaluate, to reflect, and to ultimately decide on a uh, week-by-week basis how we can be part of the solution that is uh, a significant problem in our world today. Our staff will be in the office this week. If you need prayer, you have a need, please reach out. As a team, we'll be meeting again tomorrow, and we will constantly be determining if the decisions that we've made and continue to make are consistent with the recommendations and guidelines of the Alberta government. When changes are made, we will absolutely let you know. Our elder team will be meeting on Tuesday night as well. Please be in prayer for them as they lead through uh, this situation. Uh, We will communicate regularly with you via email and through our website. As you know, this is a fluid changing. The decision you might make today can change tomorrow. And so um, we just want you to stay connected, to be informed. And the best place for that, if uh, for up-to-date or the most current stuff, is on the website. But we will also email those that are on our mailing list. As of right now, we have suspended all in-person meetings for this week. Even that might change tomorrow. But certainly as we get closer to next Sunday, we will take into consideration all of the information from the medical professionals and government leadership and make the best decisions that we can at the time. I want to encourage you to absolutely, totally engage with your church in these days. It would be so easy for us to move to kind of this digital format and have everybody kind of hunker down into their homes. But this is an incredibly unique season and opportunity in the life of TCC. We're going to be navigating through some new waters, this era of social distancing when we like to shake hands and hug one another. We stay away from kissing one another on the cheek, but, you know, we have to be aware of those things. I believe that we're going to need connection more than ever. We need to be connected. And there are ways that we can do that without even being in the same room. And it's not just through online. There's two things that I really want to encourage you to do. And one is we've been sending out Lent devotionals. Um, Use that on a daily basis, knowing that others in our church community are reading the same scriptures. They're, They're asking God for clarity and wisdom and direction in those things. And so let's use the scriptures, in a sense, to stay connected. One uh, <coughs> uh, minister from long ago had a, developed a reading plan for his church congregation, and he said that it was his way of knowing where the sheep are grazing. And so uh, let's look at some of the same passage together and connect that way. I also sent out last night a prayer sheet, which was information given to us by our, confer- our conference of churches. They've provided some resources, and we've, we've edited that a little bit to reflect kind of our situation. But be praying for the same things together. Um, and so use those two resources especially, the Lent devotionals and the prayer sheet that we sent out. You know that one of the things that I love about Sunday mornings is the opportunity to stand by the door and guard the brunch line, um, greet each of you who are staying, engage a little bit to hear a little bit about what God's doing in your life or what's happening in your life. And I know that I'm going to miss that. 
so many weeks I'll be able to grab my food if you've left me any and uh, be able to go and sit with somebody and spend a little bit more time catching up or maybe just getting to know you for the first time. And I'm going to miss that. But we do have technology that allows us to connect, to connect maybe not in person, but to connect in spirit and in truth. And that is how we want to approach these times. And so we're going to look at some of God's truth this morning because it's vital that we do. Because it's his truth upon which we build a foundation that can help us navigate through life. And you know the series of messages from the Gospel of Mark that we've been in since September. It was planned last summer. I've known the passage that I would be speaking on today for months now. And earlier in the week, I started my initial preparation. And then by Wednesday, it had to all be set aside as all of these significant events related to the coronavirus started to unfold. And it seemed like every day we were changing what we were doing, especially on this Sunday. And as we prayed and planned and prepared for the weekend, I, I kept wrestling in the back of my mind with what should I speak on this morning? And I thought that perhaps I should move away from the Gospel of Mark and perhaps try to speak into this situation prophetically from a biblical perspective. But the more I thought about it, And the more I came to realize that the passage for today is actually as relevant as ever. Because I believe it speaks to the very attitude that we need to have during this time. Let me just read it for you. It's Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, verse 41 to 44. So just four verses. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Perhaps you have another translation that you'll follow along with. But listen to these words. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. I believe this passage speaks loud and clear to the attitude that we should have in all of life, but especially when our world seems to be spiraling out of control and people start to act out of fear and panic and can only think of themselves and their needs. We've seen it already. In this scene, Jesus teaches an important lesson in contrasts. Can you picture the scene that I read for you? Jesus is sitting down in the temple in an area known as the Court of Women. This is where the temple treasury was kept and where people came to bring their offerings. And Jesus is people watching. Now, I have to tell you that I actually kind of enjoy watching people. I know maybe that's a little creepy, but I find people fascinating Airports, restaurants, shopping malls are all great places to people watch because you can tell a lot about people by their actions. Anyway, Jesus is watching the people come and they're bringing their offerings. And so he's sitting there near the treasury, which is made up of these 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles. And the people would walk in and and put it kind of in the narrow end and it would fall through and, and collect in these boxes. I kind of had this image of, you know, when you go to some places and it's 
almost like a wishing well, and you, it's kind of the reverse of that, where you put the coin in, it goes, and it goes around and around until it drops in the bottom. The guy who invented that is genius, because you never know, you know, it costs you nothing to make this thing, and, and um, the resources can just be endless as people just willingly want to see their coins go round and round in this thing. And so here, uh, Jesus doesn't see, um, or he doesn't just see the actions and the gifts that these people are bringing, but he does see their hearts and their motives as well. And so Jesus here compares and contrasts a group of rich people with a single poor widow. And what you see when he compares the two is that the poor widow reflects a a humble devotion while the rich were marked by prideful behavior. He saw in verse 41b, we read, many rich people put in large amounts. Now, I suspect some of these people had a way about them. They drew attention to their giving. They wanted everyone to know that they were making these large donations. Kind of like the man who stood up in a meeting where funds were being raised and said, I'll I'll pledge to give $1,000 anonymously. I remember visiting a church once and it seemed like every room or every major piece of furniture, furniture throughout the church had a name on it, donated by. They wanted to be known for their gifts. As Mark writes this, you have to imagine the large crowds that had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. Many people bringing their offerings to the temple, making sure that everyone knows about their gifts, especially the large gifts. And then something really special happens. An obviously very poor widow came, and she dropped in two small coins. This woman with her tattered and worn clothing, who obviously lived a very difficult life in poverty, is seen by Jesus putting these two small coins into the temple treasury. This gift was like pennies today. It was so small and insignificant. The coins that she used were the the smallest coins in circulation at the time, worth less than one one one-hundredth of a denarius, which was, for the average person, a whole day's wage. And so for the poor widow, though, what she gave was probably her own day's wages. Now, she probably didn't want to be noticed. She probably didn't know that Jesus was watching her. But I wonder if she knew that God was watching. See, I believe she was motivated to give because she was living out of the Shema. We looked at this last week, that we, we, where, where we love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And the widow's offering demonstrated that she was loving God with all that she had. Now Mark makes a point of saying that she kept two or that she gave, excuse me, two small coins. She could have easily kept one. I mean, in her situation, no one would have faulted her. Instead, she gave everything she had. It's almost as if she's silently saying to God, I love you. All that I have is yours. And so that's the contrast between the rich who gave large amounts and the poor who only gave two small coins. But it was everything. Well, there's an important principle here about giving and living generously. 
Because as Jesus finishes people watching, he calls his disciples over to teach them an important principle about giving. He underscores the importance and the certainty of what he is about to say by beginning with, I tell you the truth. It's, it's like when I might be in a conversation and I begin to say, you know, I start a sentence with, with honestly. Well, honestly, I should do that. It's not like I've been dishonest up to that point. Please believe me in that. But when I say, uh, you know, honestly, I'm trying to put an emphasis on what I'm about to say. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He says, I tell you the truth. You can trust me in this. And he goes on to say, this poor widow has given more than all the others who were making contributions. I mean, what's that, Jesus? She's given more than all the others? The others gave large amounts. She only gave two small coins. How possibly can that be more? And verse 44, then Jesus explains, he says, For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. In other words, the rich gave out of their abundance. But the widow gave all that she had. Now, Jesus doesn't in any way deny the fact that the rich gave much. He simply said that the widow gave more. Theirs was a significant contribution. Hers was a true sacrifice. So here's the principle. It's not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. You see, the poor widow is applauded because she gave sacrificially. Furthermore, she was motivated by a spirit of love and generosity that isn't matched by the rich people. It's this motivation that makes all of the difference. Giving should not ever be out of a sense of duty or obligation or given grudgingly or even for recognition. But giving should be a delight, even joyful, given willingly, given out of the spirit of generosity, no matter how much money we have. But giving extends beyond money. It extends to our time. It extends to our efforts. It extends even to our love and our care for others. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 5 shares an incredible example of the churches in Macedonia and, and they're collecting an offering to give to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And he says this, he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Listen to this carefully. They are being tested by many troubles. And they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. He goes on to say, he says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it, he says, of their own free will. They begged us, he says. Isn't that incredible? They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. I don't even feel like I need to explain that much, but isn't that incredible to think when he says they have given themselves to the Lord and to us? 
So when we step back to last week's message and live in a, in a place where we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love others, we've given ourselves first to God, the overflow of that is what we do for others. But did you catch that this group of churches in Macedonia, they were tested by many troubles? They're poor, but yet they're filled with joy. So much joy that it overflowed with rich generosity. So again, the principle that Jesus is teaching here is an important one. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And the only way that that would ever happen is when it's motivated by a spirit of generosity, which itself comes from a deep love for God and for people. Can you see how relevant this is to the world in which we live in today? And how it applies to the situation we are facing By now, we've all heard about the panic buying that has been going on around our city and across our country and probably around the world. First toilet paper and hand sanitizer. And even in the last few days, yesterday, uh, uh, you know, in the last few days, food. And I don't know if you saw some of these pictures, but just just, uh, grocery stores just completely cleaned out. Empty freezers, empty shelves. You've probably even heard that people are profiting by this panic. They've bought thousands of dollars worth of Lysol wipes so that they could turn around and sell it for a profit to those who are in need of that protection. I was looking for hand sanitizer for for our church and... um, so no stores have it, as you know. And so I was on Facebook Marketplace looking, and there was somebody who was selling just a small little pump thing of hand sanitizer for $20. It probably is 2 or 3 or $4 retail value, but $20 or a box of 12 for $200. Friends, This is not the way of Jesus. Hoarding and greed and having a scarcity mentality is not how Jesus invites us to live. The way of Jesus is that if you have two rolls of toilet paper and you see your neighbor in need, you give him one, if not both, and you trust God to provide for your needs. The widow gave both of her coins. Her giving could even have been seen as reckless, crazy. But it's another example of the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. A kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. A kingdom where a poor widow gives two small coins and a rich person gives a, small, a large gift, but somehow the widow still gave more. A kingdom where value is not determined by the amount but by the spirit in which it is given. A kingdom that is marked by love and devotion and sacrifice. And that is the kingdom that we as followers of Jesus are invited into. We are not asked to give everything. That is not the point that Jesus is making. It's about the attitude of the heart 
When we give, all gifts are pleasing to God when they're given out of gratitude and a spirit of generosity. Friends, I believe this is the opportunity before us. Will we wrap our hands tightly around what we have, stockpiling more essentials because we are even in a position to buy two years' worth of toilet paper, grabbing essentials so that we can resell for a profit? Or will we hold loosely to what we have? Will we open our hands to our church, to our community, to our neighbors who are, if they're not already, going to be in need? We will demonstrate a spirit of love and generosity, even to the point of true sacrifice. Did you know that it was the followers of Jesus who, in the midst of persecution, they would go into the dumps in the Roman Empire and they would rescue discarded babies from the garbage heaps? It was followers of Jesus who, in the midst of the Black Plague, risked their lives to care for the sick and the dying. Throughout the history of the church, it's been followers of Jesus Christ who have walked into the dark places of disease and war and famine and incredible need and created hospitals and orphanages and other care facilities. Friends, that's the way of Jesus. God is already at work in our communities. COVID-19 can be a God-given opportunity to attend to how God is calling us to join him in his work in our little corner of the world. We don't have to save the world, but we can make a difference right where we live. Friends, in closing, what the poor widow teaches us is that we don't have to give much to make a difference. But we do need a heart that is passionately in love with Jesus and that love overflows in our service to others. And that's why I've been saying, let's choose faith over fear and service over self. And when we do that in the midst of a worldwide crisis, the likes of which we have never seen in our lifetime, we become the light that Jesus is asking us to be. This is the perfect time to live out Matthew 5, 14 and 16, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus says you. He's speaking to us as followers of Jesus Christ. He says you are the light of the world. The implication is that the world is a dark place and God has put a light in it and that light is you and it is me. He notes then that there are others who live in darkness and fear, but you are to let your good deeds, your loving, caring, sacrificial, generous actions shine out for everyone else to see. And when we do that, hearts will be turned to God. So in these days, when we might feel powerless and vulnerable and even afraid ourselves, May we respond in love and generosity to those around us. Because when we do, it speaks volumes. When we live, when we act, when we have hopeful and optimistic attitudes, that's what people will notice. So let's be different. And let's be difference makers. Oh, may God help us be the light in a dark place, 
to be hopeful in the midst of fear and generous during times of scarcity. I'd like to close in prayer and then Pastor Adam's going to come and lead us in, in one closing song. But I read a prayer this week that was shared from our conference of churches. It was written by a writer and a mom from Seattle. And um, I want to pray this over us as a congregation because I think she says and writes some incredible things. And so we offer this to God this morning. May we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those that have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home Remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us yet find ways to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbors. Amen. Again, just stay connected, stay informed, be engaged, and we will continue to keep you updated and connected as we journey through uh, these days and weeks ahead. I'd like to close with just this short benediction from 1 Peter to a people who were going through all sorts of persecution and troubles and hardships. And he says this, And the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, and thank you for joining us this morning. We'll see you next week.